Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of beer, the show of Boulder, Colorado, triathletes and the like. Today's guest is Josh Hare, the founder of Hops and Grain Brewery. Fun fact that it could have been Josh O'Hare had his family not omitted the O upon entrance into the United States at Ellis Island. What's that? The Josh O'Hare? That sounds like a pretty relevant and a pretty great beer name. But all these years later, six SKUs, six creative beers later, and a soon-to-be-released seventh, from what I understand, Josh has made an amazing beer and selection of beers that are catering to us here in Texas, but especially us here in Austin. It's an important brand, and it's an important conversation with Josh. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Josh Hare of Hops and Grain. Like he's not gonna hold back. Never. Like, and there's right. no, and he's never rude. He's never. No, you know, no, no. Like, he's a new. He's obnoxious. a very articulate he's guy. Very, yeah, he's very tactful. Yeah. Uh, but I love. Yeah, that's what I love about him. Is Me it's too. like, yeah. I, I can't imagine. I love just thinking back to those days where he was working in the ad space. Yes. You know, and thinking like, when he got pissed, what happened? You know, like, <laughs> if, like if like AMC came to him, like, yeah, I don't really like the the, the way you're taking this, Mike. He's like, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah. Like I, is that what you think? Let me he, fucking tell you what I think about this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wonder yeah. if like that's how it was for him. Probably it, yeah. It it's had gotta to. be, right? And it's I think that's why he loves what they're doing right now. Yeah. You know, it's Oh man, it's watch, all the right? all the best pieces of service industry that, you know, I think he's so well suited for. Yeah. But then he has like a little bit more authority to say whatever the fuck he wants <laughs> to say, you know. So he can he can carry that as well. And he's got a staff, like, so in a sense, yeah. he has like a captive audience. Absolutely, yeah, all, yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah. So you know they've <laughs> got to they've got to do they've got a menu, they've got a vision, you know. And I I, I love the the motley crew of personalities over there. Yeah, you know, we talk about back or on your yeah. jazz or, or whatever. Are you you looking forward to the backbeat stuff? Yeah, I'm super excited to see. It's, it's be been cool. wild to you know I've been close with the the odd duck and barley swine yeah. crew for a long time. I actually used to work with all of them. At Z Tejas before no I shit, opened the, the brewery, one on West so, Six? yeah, when Jack yeah. was still the chef, the executive really? chef there, and so it was kind of cool. When I was fundraising for the brewery, I was bartending there oh, and okay. serving, yeah. um, and so all of the crew that currently works at Odd Duck and or Barley Spine, old, old all crew. of us kind of went off and did our own different things, you know. So it's been fun to watch that little corridor of Lamar. Yeah. Oh yeah. And what do you? How do you feel about it? Just kind of shifting to burn it. Well, barley swine. The barley swine piece. I think it's cool. I think um, that kind of the the low burn areas. I guess most people out there live there yeah. call it a low good, burn. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the pine house guys um, are close friends of mine. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know who came up with this concept of calling that like forty fifth to fifty first area of burn it road. Yeah, I don't know. Low burn, That's lower a, burn it. Oh, okay, um, okay, okay. But the, yeah, they, they should have. Why did they just say like slow burn or something? Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's. I'm glad to see. You know that. It's such a walkable neighborhood, oh, which yeah. is. I, I'm glad to see the city focusing more on those Absolutely. neighborhoods. Then, when it's really safe too. Yeah, know? like yeah. I love that that area. Licks over. I mean, you talk about a dream date. It's you don't yeah. even have to put any thought into making a date no. anymore. Yeah. You just go to that center. Yeah. Go get some wine at Bufalina, maybe right. some tapas or, or like a, a brata or something. Sure. Go barley swine, have a full course dinner. Now, now they've got a full bar. Right. So get a little tanked. Peak your interest into the moose bouche of, of barley swine, and then go over to lick. Yeah, I mean it's fucking crazy how amazing that that whole strip has become. Yeah, you know? and it's those are the best neighborhoods in Austin for yeah. business owners, entrepreneurs are that very thing where you've got so many people that live right there. Yeah, they can get there without ever having to get on a highway. Totally. They can walk there. They you know, 
Um, and Good yeah, money it's, too. It's There's perfect. a lot of money and, in that yeah, area, you yeah, know. Definitely. But but also still uh, all ranges of money, right? right? Like so, people that are really really rich, but also just kind of moderate, like young professionals. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like there's it, some old established money. There's yes. some young new transplant. You know, right? Uh, yeah, that's that, neat. I like it's the very area. Cool. Where where do you live in town? I what live off of uh, Springdale and Airport. Okay, yeah, yeah like so you're in the east. Okay. Yeah, so we're kind of in between Airport and Mueller okay. on Springdale. Oh, okay. So, yeah, uh, it's a neat. It's still a cool, quiet, fun area to live. Uh, it's accessible to so much. Yeah. And then for me, you know, the brewery is just right down Springdale. And it's shift. I mean, even that area is shifting yeah. a whole lot, man. Yeah. yeah. How, are you, how long have you been in Austin? Uh, 11 years. 11 years? Now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, moved to, I moved here in uh, the beginning of 05 from Boulder. Boulder? Yeah. No shit. Yeah. So, okay. Well, let's take that. Because so one, we have to talk about a dad bod calendar here at some point because this <laughs> event's coming up here very, right. very soon. We, we're going to have to talk about that. But. <laughs> Boulder, that's great. So, did you were you raised in Boulder? You bold, you a Colorado kid? No, no, I was actually raised in the I call it the plains of West Texas, uh-huh. but a town called Abilene. I've heard uh, of Abilene. Yeah, it's a. It's, I hear uh, it's quite a miserable place. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very miserable <laughs> to, place to be. Yes, um, but I was born there, born and raised. Yeah. Um, did and you go to school I, there? What's that? Did you go to school? Like, I did. Yeah. yeah, I was. Um, I had one scholarship offer, mm. and it was unfortunately at ACU. ACU. Yeah. Uh, so I thankfully I had the wherewithal to like forward look at like right oh, wait i can have my school paid for that that's oh, a hell I mean, of a I deal can, no matter yeah. where you are um, right and turns out acu is a place that parents send their kids mm-hmm. who are total hellions and right. they just assume like oh i'll make them go to college there and it'll just straight like we'll reform them yeah oh, really? but turns out like all of us just find each other at acu and then we just <laughs> find, raise even more hell together and, yeah so. it's actually a stronger yeah. A stronger rebel unit like, right. as a result of going. Right. What is, so you you're born in Abilene. You went to primary school, right. high school, and stuff there. What kind of stuff does one do in Abilene in high school? Like, what do you? What kind I, of trouble can you get into there? So I I played a lot of sports yeah. and I drank a lot of beer. Um, <laughs> but at the same sh- time, shockingly, well, I mean, not simultaneous, but <laughs> yeah. they, before they oftentimes yeah. happened in the same day, same yeah. couple of hours. Um, what kind I, of sports? I played soccer. That was soccer, my big. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I played baseball. Also enjoyed that. Yeah. But it was more out of boredom than anything. You know? Yeah. Because um, what do you do? If well, if if you're not playing sports in the summer, yeah. like you work. So to yeah, me, no I was like, I'm going to find every like, you know, yeah. summer league, whatever I can find. Just so I don't have just to Just so I don't him. have to. I still couldn't escape it. My dad was basically like, allowance? What the hell is an allowance? Right. Like, no, you want to spend money on stuff? You're cool. You can work. Work for and it. And you can make that money. Is that a lot of you know? lawns? I had to do a lot of lawns. I built fences. Actually. Did you? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, which was, it was a really cool job yeah. at the time. Uh, looking back on it, it's funny. The guy that I worked for did not believe in power tools of any kind. So is this hammer post nails? Post hole diggers. Oh, we dug geez. holes with that. We mixed concrete in a wheelbarrow with two people. Really? Two people in shovels, like opposing each other, and we would paddle different directions. <laughs> was and there that a guy would playing create, drums like, to make whole, sure you would go I mean, in the right yeah, direction? Yeah, keep the rhythm. <laughs> um, but it was cool. I mean, it was outside all the time. We were kind of left. He had enough crews that you know we were all kind of we we never had the boss around us gotcha. it was more it's like, like we show up at a thing. house build a fence you know. we, what, what, uh 15 16 or older uh, i actually started like before you could legally be paid to work oh, so no I was, yeah i was like 13 when i started building fences damn what um, kind of materials mostly wood or yeah all wood at the time it was all it was wooden posts wooden pickets yeah. the whole thing we kind of we convinced our boss to branch into uh, metal posts, you know. <laughs> you know, I hear there's this thing <laughs> yeah. called metal. And they last use. a lot longer. That's right. And of course, he's like, well, why Why would I want it to last longer? Like, oh, If a fence guy, wears yeah. out in 15 years, it means I get to rebuild another one. But if yeah. it takes 25 years, what? what I'm not even going to be around. <laughs> um, so he was he, he was cool because he was very committed to quality. And, yeah. You know, everything was very precise. Um, but he was, yeah, I learned a lot of frugality from that guy. Really? You know, as a first but boss. But not cutting and, corners, though, necessarily. No, not right? at all. It was more just like... If we buy a box of 100 nails, yeah. he wants to know how many of those didn't actually get used or how Jesus. many got bent or, you know. Which is, uh, and, we're cents we're talking about. Right, yeah, pennies. Which is yeah, amazing. Purely pennies. And he, it was all, all to him, I think, was he had this vision and idea that he was going to, you know, completely transform America's youth one fence picket at a time. <laughs> uh, and that was what he was going to do is what, teach you this, this, like, honest, name? Uh, like, John Isom. John Isom, what, what kind of guy is he's actually it's oddly enough yeah. he he has one child uh-huh. uh a daughter all okay. he ever wanted was a son that he could like make build fences right and, like right. hand this whole hand thing it over. To. Yeah. uh him and his wife agreed they were gonna have one one child and that was it mm-hmm. um they had a girl he tried to like get her into fence building and didn't <laughs> 
it did not stick whatsoever. It'd be hard to get even a son in defense. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. If, if he was my dad, there's no way in hell I would have uh, <laughs> built fences. But he, so he basically took like every one of his employees is like, uh, like bring you under my wing. I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to make you my son Mentor. and teach you how life is supposed to be lived. What kind, so. But I mean, like what kind of guy gets in? So I have this preconceived notion about Abilene. I know there is a relatively like cool drinking scene there that's outside of recreational drinking while playing sports. Right. Which happens as a teenager, right? Yeah, yeah. like there's, yeah. there's like there's, a, there's I mean, other drinking going on. Yeah, but maybe, maybe a thoughtful scene. Sure. Put it that way, right? Yeah. But then I, I find it is it really really conservative? It it, it is incredibly it is, conservative. Okay. Yeah, it's um. So a couple for instance, when I was at the university, you weren't allowed to drink alcohol just um, at all, regardless of your age. Yeah, like what? if you were enrolled in the university, part of your admission documents included a signature page saying that you wouldn't drink at all yeah regardless of your age you know how so, much drinking is a part of the bible exactly. like that's like that's yeah. a huge part of it <laughs> yeah it is now you know that was 98 so it's since still, it has since changed you can yeah. now you know drink when okay, you're good. when you're of age Finally, but there was also I mean, we had an olympic sized swimming pool right mm-hmm. where we did intramural sports and our swim team you know practice there yeah there was not a men's and women's mixed swimming time allowed like there were separate it's times separate for men and women to swim in the 90s uh in the, the 90s, late 90s yes, yes. Jesus, um, really? and they was actually referred to as mixed bathing was what they didn't mixed allow bathing yeah. um, well that actually makes it sound a lot more seedy than swimming i know right? it's like well <laughs> right. i gotta take my pants off to make sure i can right. clean all the areas <laughs> right yeah well, it makes um, some sense. It makes yeah. some sense. So, I mean, it ultimately, I think the people that stayed there, yeah, um, they either stayed there. There's a lot of oil money in Abilene, so, so it's pretty, a, a pretty lot rich, of like, I guess? yeah, yeah, um, and a lot of like long generational, five, six, seven generations, yeah. of oil money. So there's a lot of kids that grow up there, just have it, have and money, right? graduate from high school, and they're like, yeah, I'm just gonna go work for my dad, gotcha, and then take over the family business. And was that ever so an option lot... for you? Besides no, the fencing, no, no, my no. dad, man, my mom was a. <laughs> Seven, or a um, elementary school teacher. My yeah. dad was a professor. Like there was oh, no, it, what, did he teach at ACU? At ACU. No kidding. Yeah, what, what did he teach? Uh, so he, he was in psychology department. Oh, okay. So he taught a lot of the more like classes for, I guess, aspiring preachers. Interesting. But on how to counsel like marriage and family therapy and right. how you counsel, you know, youth and. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Set them on the right term. path. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. He also taught this class called human sexuality. Okay, okay. Which is what he That's was... That's good. Sounds good. Yeah. It was, <laughs> Maybe so, not yeah, for every, you. Everyone called it a sex class. It. I didn't take it. I yeah, refused, well, I can, to, I refused take it. to take it. But everyone... There was a waiting <laughs> list for that class every semester. Why? Why do you think? Because there's no talk of sex at uh, ACU. There's no... So vacuum. Like, it was almost like porn to a lot of students. Got it. You know? Even though like, it's probably parents medical, them. right? Yeah. It's yeah. purely... Yeah, the whole thing is about like the safety and psychological effects of you know, really? sexual activity before you're married. Oh. So of course, all of it under the, you know, the the guys of wait until you're married right but they painted this more psychological spiritual was it kind of like intellectualizing it to make it seem like it's a better choice you know from what i understand i didn't take the class again yeah um just i there's no way that i had already heard my dad talk about sex at one point in life like i went through that <laughs> once conversation he said boner already. it was yeah, over I was like all right dad i'm not taking your class um but, <laughs> but everyone was... that took it loved it like they yeah. thought it was really a thought-provoking compelling you know yeah uh, my dad's always been a little bit of a rebel so even at acu like he definitely was it, he did... pushed the button a little you know put, really? pushed the envelope a little bit and Where's challenged it? kids to think about like yeah your family has always told you no sex no sex right, no sex right. why like what what what's the harm what's the what's the big deal here what are we what's everybody so against and yeah. so anti and so was, I mean, I, I was always very curious about the class. I just sure. could never. No, I mean, to, I could enroll, either. Like my know. mom's saying, well, this is how the penis works. And <laughs> right. it's like, uh, I'll, I'll Google it. If, if right. that's the alternative. Well, that's what the Google's for, right? I don't, I don't know. I want to have to go into that. that. <laughs> but so was that something? Was that a, was, do you have any siblings? I do have a twin sister. Twin sister. Yeah. Same age, everything. Yep, which yep, is, yep, from yep. what I understand about twins. Same age. Science. Science 101. But was that a message that your dad kind of, not preach, but that he he kind of conveyed to you guys like, well, he's probably better to wait till you get married. No, he was he was much more like it was always posing a question. Everything was a question. Interesting. You know, like I'd show, I'd show up late night, like thinking that I was sneaking in and my parents were asleep. My dad would be awake in the living room and I'd uh-huh. be drunk. And the first thing he'd sit down, son. <laughs> oh, shit. How was your evening? He was calm. What'd you, what'd you do? Oh, no. How'd you feel about that? Like, it was a lot of that. Like, you were being counseled all the time, you know? <laughs> so, even like the early birds and the bees conversation yeah. was very much about, like, it was more conversational. Would you think you would questions. enjoy that position? <laughs> 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 what do you think this means? Yes. You know, that, yeah. Philosophical thread. 
Christ. A, a psychological, like, just this amazing thread that runs through all the conversations. Does So my mom was that same way. Okay. Not, not that she would ask me questions, but it was always about, how do you feel about this? You right. seem upset. Why are you upset? What are you feeling? Like, God, I don't want to talk about it, right? That's <laughs> right, how it starts. Right. Yeah. She keeps pressing and she yeah. keeps pressing. And by the end of it, I'm like, God, I didn't know I had daddy issues. You know, right. like, this is right. my mom. But it, do, you, do you find that you've taken that? Because I do that this other thing. I mean, fuck, I'm right here. I'm sitting here asking you plenty of questions. Right? But do you find that you take that same kind of just that stance, that paradigm when you talk to people like, well, what do you think that would be about? What's the purpose of that? Yeah. Oh, I, I try to be. I think yeah. I'm a little more like I can be a little more hot headed than my dad mm-hmm. Um, where he would like he'd get worked up. But you could see he would just like center himself. And oh, be like, God, right, it's amazing. Go right back. But me, I'll I usually pop off first. <laughs> and then I'm yeah. like, all right, well, so how did what did that sound like? <laughs> <laughs> How was was I angry? Was that offensive? Um, Did you see some fumes right. shooting through my ears? That's how I felt. It's a, it's an interesting thing. But, so, what did you study then at ACU? Uh, I was in biology. Is what I studied. Oh, uh, I ended up graduating with an education degree and a minor in biology. Oh no, okay. So, yeah. any any particular focus in the biology you found particularly interesting? Perhaps fermentation. Oh, no, no, I, I was honestly much more into the environmental sciences. So that's yeah. kind of where I, I studied horticulture a little bit, a lot of agronomy. Yeah. Um, and so the, you know, the biology component early on for me was more just, I've always been curious and biology right. seemed to always answer questions for me. Where it does. It's good Physics was a little more difficult for me. Chemistry, like it's a little more, it's hard to just like grab in nature and see happening in front of you. Right. right. Whereas biology, like if you wait long enough, you pretty much watch all of it happen. Yeah, you know um, that is quite amazing. Did you part? So, did you have the standard four-year experience? Because you apparently had a scholarship. I did. Wait, but so my, what was the scholarship in, by the way? Uh, it was actually it was for my ACT scores. Oh, really? So yeah. you're just an academic one. Yeah, you're yeah. smart. Um, and, and I had a lot of credits, credit hours paid for. Oh, really? So I actually spent five and a half years in school because it was all uh, on someone else's yeah, tab I it guess. It was paid for and That's um, so yeah, I studied. I took goodness three semesters of business classes. Yeah. Um and it ultimately came down to like, well, okay, shit, I got to get out of here uh before I have to start paying for a lot of this. <laughs> What's my fastest path out? <laughs> the ice man coming. All the different things that I've already studied in education, sadly enough, yeah, was the fastest way out. No um, kidding. Yeah. So the, when you when you got out, did you have that because that's a pretty interesting trifecta in a sense, right? Sure. So you've got like a minor, minor in a sense. So you've got biology, minor in education, and then also probably some business acumen that you should come off with, which isn't necessarily helpful in biology. I guess it could, but business acumen's different. Right. That's for the entrepreneur right. almost. And that's how to speak the speak and talk the, you know, talk the talk and walk the walk and all of that. Sure. So when you get out, how, how are you feeling? Like which way did you lean? So I, I, I literally, I took the very first teaching job that I interviewed for, got offered, and it was in Austin. No so I was like, cool. Yeah. What, uh, elementary, middle school? Uh, middle school, seventh grade. Very yeah. Cool. So I was actually at a Grisham Middle School. Where's that? Uh, Grisham's at like, you know where Westwood High School is? It's right, literally right behind Westwood High off of um, 620 Anderson Mill area. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just up the street there. Yeah. Yeah. It's not oh, not far cool. away from here at all. Yeah. And so how was that? So you took the gig? Took the gig, taught for one year. Um, that was it. And I think the little bit of business that I studied like mm-hmm. enabled me to observe the public education system as a whole Uh-oh. in the one year I was there and was just like, fuck. What, what was the main, the main well, problem? Was the, there, so there were a number of things for me. And I think the major turning point was, you know, at the time, this was... Granted, 2003, mm-hmm. um, it's still very much this way. But Were at you the like time, the early 20s then? Uh, 20, I was, yeah. 22, yeah 20, wait, 23, 23. Yeah, just yeah, turned okay, 23. Cool. Um, at the time, all of your funding you know, for a school district comes from test scores. Right. So your students have to take the standardized test a at the end of the metric. year. Yeah. And that's the only way you know, um, that you get funded, or really one of the only ways that you get funding. Mm-hmm. And so as a science teacher, you know, my whole goal in teaching science was to... You know, I kind of took a little bit from this old fence building uh, boss that I had. And like, I was committed to changing America's youth, <laughs> yeah. critical thinking skills and the development of like common sense. Right. Which yes, I feel amazing, like every amazing. science classroom, everybody remembers their middle school science teacher. Right. Sure. That's where you dissect something for the first time. Right. That's where yeah. they're generally always like this kind of crunchy hippie ish. Yeah. You they're, know, they're, um, they're gritty, but yet grounded. Right. And right. You, did you and very soft, very methodical, very, soft, very like yes. you know warm. Sometimes smells of patchouli. Yeah, um, you know. Soft. And so, like, I always <laughs> I loved that because that was where I got really turned on to just like figuring out life was yeah. in science. So I thought I was going to do that. I was going to change the whole world. Uh, but I also falsely assumed that I'd be able to actually go in and develop like curriculum 
for my class and put together uh, you hands you know, lessons be and no not at all like no. you're given curriculum you teach to it you teach how to answer multiple choice questions and that's, and that's pretty much it how um, how antiquated is the curriculum it's pretty rough um you know it's especially in texas at the time mm-hmm. and my understanding at least from friends of mine that still teach Things have evolved quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, evolutionary theory, um, you know, those real components of science that I think are much more thought provoking than other areas. You know, those were non-existent. There was no talk really? necessarily of evolution. So you get in trouble um, if you talk about it? Yeah, well, it, well, it didn't fit the curriculum. So it Even wasn't necessarily like, you got in trouble. It's just like, if you're going to work here, you're going to follow the curriculum. And if wow. you get outside of the curriculum, then guess what? You don't work here anymore. No shit. Um, I also... This was not part of my job offer, but I had to teach sex ed in seventh grade. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, not like father, like son. Exactly. Exactly. That is so strange. <laughs> the name of the program, <laughs> Worth the Weight. That's what it was called? That's what it was called. I had to go to Scott and White they... <laughs> Hospital in Temple to be trained oh, on this curriculum. God. And it was 10 straight days. Oh, that's horrible. And they don't split up classes anymore where the boys go with the, you know, coach like right. I remember it and then the girls <laughs> are right. <laughs> it's all your classes just like they're normally mixed. Jeez. Um so that was an eye opener. And that's then like ins- talk about antiquated things like instead of saying erection, I yeah. had to say the penis stands away from the body. That's what it is. A wet dream is a nocturnal emission. I remember that. You one. know, like that, that's that, very that's colorful. In 2003, that shit is still taught. That's insane. And I had to recite it. You know, I had like a book yeah. that I had to literally recite word for word. Did you it, did you see like these kids' eyes glaze over? Because they oh, probably they, yeah, know but, more about sex than than you can oh, even ab- give absolutely, them. At that point, absolutely. Yeah. And the questions that they would ask are just like, oh man, <laughs> I'm telling you right this now, not a part piece of this curriculum is answering this question for you. Uh, but that, I, I thought I had this really genius idea, right? Because yeah. the first couple of days were really quiet. No one was asking any questions. Sure. Everyone was really awkward. So I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to put a box, like a shoe box, right? Uh-huh. And I wrapped it up, put a little slit in the top. And I was like, all right, this is the anonymous question box. Like, oh, oh, If something good. happens during the day, you got a question about it. Right. You know, when class is over, just drop this in there. And I, you have my word. I will answer every question that goes into this box. That Terri- a big, terrible, terrible mistake. That's on my a big part. word. Yeah. The very first day I unpacked that box at the end of the day, there were three questions in there. Do you remember Two them? of them said, when was the last time you had a blowjob? They asking you? The third one said, have you ever 69? Those were the three <laughs> questions that I got. So the next day I had to let everybody know like, all right, so I should have clarified. <laughs> These questions are not about me. It's about the curriculum. All right. Uh, So that was kind of the beginning of the end. And it could be the same answer for both, just in terms of efficiency. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's an amazing thing. But did you set them? Did did they eventually take take it by storm in the sense that it was meant to be like that? They were asking nice thought provoking provoking questions i did, did i did finally get a few yeah. um and they continue to trickle in with you know the stuff more directed <laughs> at me but um i got a few honest questions yeah um and you know what's funny is the question would be asked mm. i you know or i would i would give the question and then state the answer right and everyone in the class would laugh except for the one person who so you put the question know. in so it was so obvious who asked the question <laughs> and then you'd see him like oh, oh, oh yeah 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 that's funny. Right. You know, like trying to chime in <laughs> Is it uh, true so if you don't use it, you lose it? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That would be my question. But that's me as an adult, like trying to be stupid right, and cheeky. Right, right. So it only lasted a year. Yeah, I one mean, year. it's it's interesting because it feels like you've got a, a great finger on the pulse of Texas education and Texas culture. Because I moved in to Texas in 97. Okay. And I went from Salt Lake City, which was actually a really wonderful school, school district. And then coming into Texas, and it was just like someone hit me over the head, and I had this malaise just the whole time. Like I was operating at eighty percent of what I was allowed to mentally, you know. Right. And it's really strange because I love Texas, I love Austin, but hearing that it's reinforced actively yes. with shitty, shitty curriculum. I mean, it's like not a huge surprise that Texas is la- a laughs laughing stock in some areas of the world. You yeah. Know? Just like can't get our shit together, but. I'm still waiting to see. So this, you're like, fuck this. I, I'm smarter than this. Maybe I'm not better than this, but the kids deserve more and I can't do it. My hands are tied. Right. Where'd you go? So that's when I moved to Boulder. Boulder. Yeah. I packed up, uh, moved out of my house. I had a golden retriever at the time. I still uh, have, still have the same golden retriever. Oh, cool. Um, you know, I was single, packed up my dog, my two bicycles on top of my Volkswagen Jetta. Yeah. As many clothes <laughs> as I could put into it. I sold everything else. Uh, 
and yeah, moved up to Boulder. Moved to Boulder. I had two two buddies that I graduated from college with were living there. They had a roommate that had, was getting ready to move out, so they're mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, in about four months, we'll have a room open." Oh, cool! But right now, we've got a couch. Done deal. Like, cool. <laughs> and Boulder's done I love deal. Boulder, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a neat city. And back in you know when I when I moved there in '05, um, it not '05. I'm sorry, in '03. So was mm-hmm. that yeah the end of yeah, that end of that year. same okay. year. Um, it was really really. I'm not going to say it's totally different than it is now. You yeah. know, I hate when but people say that. About, but it, you're right. But it's it, is, a different, it is completely it was, different stage. It was much smaller. It was yeah. much less developed. There were still actually people that lived in Boulder that grew up in Boulder, which oh, really? is almost non-existent at this point. Oh. Uh, kind of like Austin. It's tough to find Absolutely the is. few people that were actually born and raised here. Yeah. Um, but I loved Boulder. I was kind of an aspiring. I'd gotten into racing bikes, started out mountain biking, and then mm-hmm. got into cycling. Um, and I'd always run just from soccer yeah. and kind of my upbringing. And so... I started racing bikes in Austin. Um, more is just like a way to get all of my frustration out you know, with my <laughs> Your sexual current, frustration. My almost literally. Right, yeah. right. Um, and so when I moved up there, you know, it's a huge, huge, just mecca for oh, yeah. endurance sports. Um, so what, I started racing are, bikes there. What are there. some endurance sports? So, so bike, cycling, you're saying, is yeah, one? Yeah, cy- cycling's a big one. You know, running, marathon, marathon. ultra marathon, so those stuff kind of distances. Lot, there's a lot of time involved, typically. Well, and I even, I mean, I even kind of lump in... 10k half marathon into endurance you know anything that's like you can't run just all out as fast as you possibly can and survive through to the end (laughs) i kind of term that as an endurance that's good (laughs) i like that that's a good qualifier Uh, right um and so you know i started racing bikes there got into triathlon um i got i landed a job really quickly at a running store really i never sold a pair of running shoes in my entire life yeah Uh, i had a a football coach in college that thought it was really funny because i was just this kind of like crunchy hippie kid on the team he uh-huh. thought it was really funny that he got me a summer job at a western wear store <laughs> so like i went into this job interview at this running shop in boulder and i was like yeah i mean i worked at a western wear have you heard of boots store like, like, and they just so looked at me like what excuse me <laughs> like at bottom line i could talk to people i used yes, to teach seventh grade some stuff. you know students like i i can talk anyone's ear off yeah and i could sell them just about anything amazing um so i landed the job like did you care like that it was a change of careers in a sense or it was no, just no, like yeah I, I mean, I only knew a one year of a, I never yeah. viewed teaching as like what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Right, right. I thought it was kind of an exciting thing to try out and see if I could actually, you know, impact America's youth. Right. Um, which is a great aim, mind you. Right. Yeah. It you sucks. Know, you weren't able a, to do that. Yeah. Well, I feel like I'm totally doing it now. All these. Well, it's different now. It's different. Totally, and I don't know if I call anymore. them youth, but uh, they were at, at one time. Right? We're, we're yeah. youth at heart. Yeah. But but the liquid enables me to really get to the core of. It's like, true. You know, it just it would it shaves the other layers away. Exactly. It, exactly. It gets right <laughs> but so, how long were you doing the sales stuff? Uh, so I did that. I mean, I, the whole time I was there, a little over really? two years. Yeah, sold uh, sold shoes there. Got to really. Um, see a lot more just business from a retail standpoint yeah um the owners there were very active in day-to-day and they were very open transparent with you know the financial aspects of the business and so i had a lot of fun there learned a lot um and it actually landed me a gig in austin when i decided to move back to austin oh really yeah so i had i love cold weather um Mm -hmm. but it's really tough to ride a bike outside when it's, when in it's cold, cold weather yeah, yeah um and i was really like i felt like i kind of had a future in this whole racing thing because i read uh, that you're a triathlon is that how yeah, tri- yeah so that, that's what i yeah that's what i really got into in boulder was um so i did long distance so half iron man and yeah. full iron man um and i loved it and it was where i met all the beer people that you know really got me which into is the ironic industry. to me right it's it is like when you hear it but if you go to a race or mm-hmm. even like a training group or anything like that, I mean, they don't do anything without beer around. No kidding. So it's a shocking. Most people, I think, are much like myself. They exercise. Yeah. Because you can drink and eat, you know, without really having to worry <laughs> about gaining yeah. weight or you're not, Absolutely. you know, kind of counters the, keeps you healthy. And it's good for running, right? Like Absolutely. if it didn't get you drunk, it's just kind of pure, pure energy. In it a is. Sense, yeah. Right? It's yeah. one of the most like bioavailable carbohydrates yeah, you can find. Exactly. So, yeah. So, okay. That makes some sense. There's. There's a utility to it, which yes. is really, really good. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'll say that about anything. Bourbon utility. utility bourbon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now there's a point at which it becomes less uh, helpful right. when you're trying to run straight, but right. Eh, right. It's still, still pretty good. <laughs> so you get a job in Austin doing... I was working with a, a company called Rogue Running. So okay. they were, um, a, at the time, their company serviced um, groups. So if you want to run a marathon, uh-huh. right? But you don't want to do it on your own. You need a coach and you need support group. Oh, you wow. sign up for this marathon group and then there's 30 other people in the group with you. You have coached workouts, yeah. supported long runs, the whole gig. Um, so it's kind of like 
it's like having your own private, you know, personal trainer coach, yeah. but you have this whole group of people that are all support. doing the same thing. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's group, a really neat. And at the time, you know, Runtex was the one running store in town. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rogue was really, you know, one of the major um, training companies in town. And yeah. so I went to work for them and I wrote curriculums. So I wrote the training programs oh, for a cool. lot of these. Tri- cool. And I developed some triathlon programs yeah. and, um, and absolutely loved it. But having come from a city of 90,000 people, right? In Boulder, there were eight different running stores, like different companies that had running shops there. Right. Out of 90,000, uh, which is 90,000 people. Yeah. And yeah. I moved here and at the time there was like, I don't know, 600,000 yeah, people like here in one running store, That's one so company strange. that sold running shoes. Yeah. And so, you know, we had started talking within the Rogue group, the ownership, just like, so we have like 3,000 people that run with us. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't we open a running store? Yeah, absolutely. We have a captive audience that needs shoes. Let's so, do this. Yeah. So yeah. we um, we connected with a couple other um, entrepreneurs in town, one of which um, had started a women's fitness boutique called okay. Betty Sport, which is now, uh, they closed down, I think, after Lululemon and okay. some of the okay. major, you know, uh, major chains moved in. But yeah. we partnered with them to kind of bring a little bit more of the retail expertise. Uh, and then I ran the day-to-day. So I got to help open the shop. Um, was the general manager, you know, hired the whole staff. And still developing curriculum too? So still, yeah, both? still doing yeah. coaching um, and absolutely loved it. And I got connected with a huge network of people in Austin yeah. um, that were kind of similarly minded in that they love to exercise and they love to drink beer. So it's interesting is that I, I love this about Austin. Maybe this is like this and maybe New York, LA, whatever. But people really like to have their booze here. Yes. But they also like to burn that shit off. Yeah, I, I love that because it's this wonderful contrast, but it's a perfect balance, right? Yeah. Because you would just think that Texas, right? I mean, not to point fingers at Houston or Dallas, but they've got a big weight problem with a lot of the populations in those, yeah. those cities. You know, oh, yeah. now they're much larger, so I get that. They're much, literally, they're larger. But it's a <laughs> square footage, right? There's so many more miles of Houston. But Austin, I think why it works is that we know how to play. We know how to really play. Yeah. But we also know how to take the time out to keep ourselves healthy. Right. And I think Boulder's the same way too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what drew me back to Austin was that, you know, Boulder's great. And I loved that element of it. You know, there were, I think there were 16 breweries there. Amazing. Two of my roommates worked at breweries. Like we were every day at the end of work, we would gather in a tap room somewhere and have a couple pints and then go do whatever else we were going to do that night. And I just loved it because you'd go into a brewery and you'd see dudes in cycling gear. You'd see yeah. people that just finished a run. You'd see someone come in, you know, that was working like up on a ski mountain yeah. or, you know, I mean, it was such like a cool, diverse crew of people that were coming together over beer. And I, I just love that. You know, love that. And it's like you're working for the weekend. Now I'm working for this beer. Yeah. Right. It is. It's I'm working like, for every day. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> um, and same thing. You go in at noon into a tap room and yeah. see a lot of the same thing. You know, people just breaking no for lunch, either. having a beer, yeah. having lunch, going back to work. Amazing. You know? Um, and it was, it was very responsible culture is what I really fell in love with in Boulder mm-hmm. is that Boulder drinks a lot, yeah. but it's also like, there's not a lot of drunk driving there. I mean, granted the city's small enough that you can pretty much walk everywhere, right. but it's a very responsible city in consumption. Uh, Austin, not, not quite. We're trying. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're working on getting we're there. We're really trying, I mean, yeah. but the, the city council's the like, well, city council's making you know, it tough, we'd but... rather you drive so we can pull you over. Right. Like, no, right. No, that's yeah. stupid. That's right. Stupid. Right. But, but we're working, but we're a very large city. And surprisingly, we grew out of our pants way too, way too quick. Oh man! Right, We've we got tried no to fight it for way too long. Yeah, you know? oh for sure. People kept coming. We're like, oh no, it's not getting overcrowded here. It's not busy. No, it's we not don't busy. need it. Infrastructure upgrades? No. Yeah, infrastructure. No, why would I thirty five need to have more than two lanes going one direction? And Mopac, oh, on. I mean, all what? of it, man. We only need two highways, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we got million, two million. No, we don't yet, but it'll get to that point. You know? Right. But it, but it, the drinking and that balance is. I think it's a thread in Austin. It really like Austin proper anyway, whatever that might mean. But yeah, definitely. People, I think you're yeah, your your areas of town that are at least what I kind of term as, you know, Austin proper. Yeah. Um that are actually like fully functional. Like you can go to a grocery store, you can go to, you know, everything you would right, need, a right. drugstore, whatever, all Clarksville of that without having to, to, you know, it's like that. drive 45 minutes to get exactly, to the, you know, right? Like uh, like in Houston cuz it's right. so just so big. You know? Right. But so you're doing this running thing and I I imagine that you start thinking about needing something for you. Is that kind of how it happens? That's how it happened for me, right? Where it's like, I've learned a lot and this has been great, but I'm ready to do this myself now. Yeah. Is that kind of how it kind of came to be? Yeah. And I mean, it, oddly enough, like it, I never had aspirations of opening a brewery or yeah. working in the beer industry or any of that. But to me, like I've always loved beer and mm-hmm. in Boulder, everything I did, beer was around that, right? right so right. my lifestyle, my 
extracurricular activity, everything, you know, it was, it was always just kind of a, a common thread in that. Yeah. So, you know, I come to Austin, had this great opportunity to be a part of the startup, you know, really learn a lot. And, you know, I had this great idea, like, oh, we have these fun runs, you know, once a week, mm-hmm. these kind of like happy hour runs, but no breweries would ever partner with us, you know, really? and we weren't asking for anything for free. We were just like, Hey, could we develop a relationship where we constantly have your product? Yeah. It's so strange. You know, work something out. Well, there were just no breweries here. Well, that, that's, and yeah, so, right, you know, right. it's that classic, like, you know, I always hate saying it this way, but all of the professors in college that I had in the business school were always like, you know, the, the goal of an entrepreneur mm-hmm. is to find that problem that hasn't been solved. The yet, gap. Yeah. Right? And yeah. then you solve the problem, <laughs> find the hole and fill it, you know? Yeah. And sure shit. There I am like, Asking over and over, trying to find, you know, anyone mm-hmm. other than fucking Shiner or Michelob Ultra right. to, you know, sponsor our races or Nothing, hook us right? up. And no one. Well, this, like, and that what, was when you... the whole, like, the light went off of like, oh, here's that hole that I keep hearing about, <laughs> this problem that I can't solve myself. Is this like 2006, seven? This was uh, 2007, yeah. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. I'm trying to think about Austin, what it was like then. Yeah, so like yeah, Independence had like just opened. Right, right. You had Live Oak. Yeah, have real ale out in the hill country. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bitter end was still here. The little okay. brew pub downtown. Yeah, north by northwest brew pub. Um, but but not a huge. That was it. Yeah, yeah. For, I mean, especially for how many people are here. Yeah, yeah. And now yeah, fast forward now we've got like twenty eight licensed breweries in Austin. Yeah. God, I can't even. And the distilleries are even more even more than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's been it's a total night and day. I mean, now we're we're coming up maybe about ten years later, so it, it's about time we evolved a little bit in that yeah. sense. Oh, know? I agree. But so how did that? Did you? I read that you learned how to ferment and stuff where you, you were doing home brew the whole time or. Yeah. So I, you know, I started brewing in college okay, actually okay. is, you know, part of this, that whole can't drink alcohol thing. Um, right. My buddies and I figured out we were 19 at the time. We figured out that you can buy all the ingredients to make beer oh, yeah. without being of legal <laughs> drinking age because there's no alcohol in it until. See, you know, that's good. That's uh, out of necessity. Yeah. So we, it was that's not amazing. like a, I want a home brew. It was right. more like we want to get drunk. Give me a sugar and a and yeast, everyone, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's got their eyes on us at the university, so how are we going to do that? Well, we'll just make it at home. Amazing. Uh, yeah. So that was where it started. Boulder was where I kind of really dug into more of the process and yeah. recipe formulation and actually trying to make it like taste good, not uh-huh. just be as high alcohol as I could possibly. Right, you right. Know. Um, and that was where I got introduced to the beer industry. I didn't even know that existed. I had no idea there were like breweries and warehouses yeah. in the middle of a city or down the corner. You know, interesting. Um, all I had ever seen was like the Coors facility in Golden, mm-hmm. massive. You know, Huge. and it was different, super cool. But I didn't know there was something different, yeah. smaller. Well, than and you, that. you look at that, right? It's like if all you know of cars are Mercedes, you're right? Like, well, shit, that's like kind of out of reach for me a little <laughs> bit, you know. But then you see like a a Honda Civic, you're like there we go. Yeah, like, now yeah, we're talking. Now right. we're talking, and so that's kind of where, honestly, that's where we kind of layer in. Is yeah. that we? I mean, maybe you do, but I didn't have multi-million dollar investments into. The, you have to do things at a smaller scale, but tighter. But still have a vision, you know. Yeah. And you don't have to have millions of dollars to do this stuff now. No, not at all. You know, I mean, I guess to to do it huge. Right. But right. it's not about that. You just take those steps and you kind of grow. Yeah. Know? But that's that's it's interesting. So the the home brewing kind of starts to get get some momentum. You understand it because you get a science background, so you start thinking about, well, I want it to taste good now. Right. And you'd been brewing in Austin too when you moved back. Yeah, I homebrewed in Austin. I just I had just fallen in love with more of the utilitarian aspect of like <laughs> yeah. if shit hits the fan, I got my own booze. Dude, <laughs> right? that, so that is a really important question. Strip society of eco socioeconomic status, strip it of a currency, strip it of shelter even. All you need is food and everybody's gonna want some kind of booze. Yeah. So well not everybody, but most people. So when it all when the shit hits the fan, like you said, you and I can make booze out of stuff. Yeah, I never thought that was a talent until I think of it like that. <laughs> oh, right, right. I never thought it was something that oh maybe this is this is marketable, but not yeah. right now. But it's it's marketable if yeah. the shit hits the fan. Yeah, yeah. And for me, you know, like I don't think a lot of people get to go through their early adulthood. Yeah, you know, when you're out of college, like you're you know depending on your kind of family situation like my parents weren't feeding me money like it was i'm on my own you know and you you learn a lot when you can't go out to eat whenever you want to right you don't have a credit card you know like that wasn't even a reality to me so i cooked you know you find out how to cook how to cook like on the cheap how to do that stuff like wow turns out you can make beer at home for like 25 cents a beer yeah that sounds freaking great yeah um and that's I, i think that's what really latched me on to the whole 
alcohol industry yeah is that at least at the time i mean it's the landscape has changed dramatically but at the time i mean you didn't have to have very much money to get something like that off the ground mm-hmm. you know like you look at the greats like ken grossman at sierra nevada mm-hmm. welded all these old like dairy tanks together himself you know pretty much bootstrapped the whole thing right, right. look where they are now Amazing. i mean i didn't quite have that bootstrapping of a story but <laughs> I you know can't most handle of, a torch very well personally right, but. right. <laughs> but you know most of the breweries that are opening right now i mean minimum of a million dollar investment going into it and they're beautiful these like sure. shiny turnkey i started out the brewery with two hundred thousand dollars and that's Still a lot. It's still to me that was a a fortune, you know. Um, But there's no way that we would have learned what we've learned had we not had to figure out how to make things work on the cheap, you know. When you don't just have an endless amount of cash, right? When when your hands are tied, I always think of it as like chopped, right? I love that show. Yeah, and it's like, well, here are three to five ingredients. All right, cool, and you have thirty minutes. What? Oh <laughs> shit! What are you talking about? Like, and you can't use any other thing, other things. Like, well, fuck. All right, well, all right fine. You yeah, know, and then yeah. you just you learn to adapt. Right. It's like, I can't buy a massive fermenter, a thousand gallon fermenter that's jacketed for twenty grand. Great. Well, I'll figure it out otherwise. Right. You know. Yeah. But yeah. that's a beautiful skill, because when you're painted into a corner, or when someone corners you, or the industry corners you, or your success, or revenue, all of that. You you got you can fight it or you can fight it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can just sit and kind of knock it out and figure out how to innovate in such a tight spot or you can fucking walk away. But yeah. that's the kind of people, that's what it takes, right? You can't walk away from it. Yeah. It gets real hard sometimes. It's as, as, as you know, and it's yeah. totally yeah, stressful. Yeah. And then dealing with the feds and stuff. Oh, oh my Jesus. Yeah. It's yeah. terrible. So when did, <laughs> when did Hops and Grain as a brand and as a concept, when did that fully kind of come into focus? So that I started, you know, actually had the plan put together. I'd done, you know, a lot of people always laugh when I say I'd done a lot of market research, (laughs) (laughs) which was not just going around and drinking a lot of beer, but actually like, you know, volunteering at breweries, popping in, you know, offering to help, but not going in just like, Hey, I want to open a brewery. Can you tell me how to do this, 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 and this? It's more just like, I just want to get my hands dirty. I want to figure this stuff out and I'm a hard worker, so I'll help you out. It's amazing. Yeah. Cause think about not, think about having not ever done that and still drink beer all the time or, or drink bourbon right without ever having smelled it right in all those stages without ever getting it on your shoes yeah. without ever staining your hands think about how different it would be like putting you in it from a sensory perspective it changes the whole thing yeah it's totally oh, absolutely does. It yeah. does. to the point that like i'll drive around neighborhoods in cities that we're visiting and you mm. can smell if like someone yeah i know when there's barley being mixed That's with water right, somewhere yeah. it's just like in the air and you know <laughs> you're like a yeah. police dog well, I, I know right <laughs> sniff it out <laughs> That's amazing so what what was when you thought about what you wanted to contribute um we'll go brand first right because sure. you, you you there's an aesthetic you have to establish as well right in addition to what that flavor might be for for the beers but what what did you say was like this is the thing that I want to contribute to brewing or the industry of beer? Yeah, so you know for me the the biggest thing that I found at Rogue when I was there is that you know there is a huge group of customers and just humans out there that yeah. love to commit to a brand. Sure. And they love it for the story, they love it for the performance of the product, the uh, whatever that may be. Yeah. Um and as much shit as we give like large beer brands, mm-hmm. that is what they thrive on and have forever. Absolutely. That like I am married to Miller Lite and I don't drink anything but Miller right. Lite, you know. Yeah, for that sure. that customer and that's brand what you loyalty. have in running. Like you run your first marathon in a pair of whatever Asics something or other. Mm-hmm. Well, you're probably going to buy that same pair of shoes as many times as you can as because the association, the you know. Yeah, yeah, um, good. and you know what I thought so deeply about at least my time at Rogue was like if I'm going to do this and I'm going to fully like commit to opening a brewery it's not going to be one of those things that I'm like doing you know at night I have a full-time job and I just kind of go in and you know I'm going to commit to it and I'm going to commit to it because I think this town needs more brands that they can latch on to yeah you know it doesn't have to be local in the sense of like I was raised and you know in Austin but like I am here and I'm committed to the city and I want to make something that people latch on to and so you know, at the time, this was really at the beginning of what I like to call um, the the dark ages of beer geekdom. Uh, <laughs> the dark the ages? When, when people started to analyze and oh, look yeah. at beer to a level that takes away, like, 
so much possibility for enjoyment. Right. Because it's just, I mean, the whole thing is they just... They overanalyze yeah, it. It's completely overanalyzed. And Enjoy I hated it. Or not. I yeah. hated that. And what I loved about the running community and the cycling community with beer, uh-huh. nobody gave a shit about that. They just want to enjoy it, right? It's like, it's got alcohol in it, right? Yeah. And it's clean and tastes good. Perfect. Done. I'll have one of those. Deal. You know? um, and that was the crowd that I always latched onto with beer. And so I wanted to really bring something like that to Austin um, that had a, a very specific you know, market focus. And yeah. that was our market was people that were active, people that got outside, that that's, played disc golf, that mountain yeah, bikes. That's that, really good. Um, but that also really enjoyed... You know, they lived as hard as they partied, yeah. you know, and I think, I think there's a, when you exercise and you're, you know, committed to that, I think you carry all of your other consumption with a different level of responsibility. Absolutely. Because you are always committed to like, oh, well, I got to get up tomorrow and yep. do this. Absolutely. So it doesn't you mean I'm it. not going to get drunk or I'm not going to have a good time. But I'm going to pay for it in the morning I if know, I go too far. Right. Yeah. Right. I know when to say, all right, all right. This yeah. is, you know, um, because br- tomorrow I want to go for a bike ride and then have more beers after that and right. not just feel, you know, you got to sustain it, man. And, right. Right. You got to <laughs> yeah. carry through. Um, so that was really where it started. And I found all of our initial investment through runners that I had coached yeah. in the running industry. That's amazing. Cause I was able to pitch this concept of like, this is a brand and it's simple. Yeah. It's called hops and grain because those are the two major That's ingredients okay. that really impact beer. Yeah. Um, and we're not trying to be something crazy. We're not trying to make like some new style of beer that no one's ever come up with, right. but we're going to commit to the quality of it because we want people to commit to our brand and then keep coming back to our brand because it's always the same. They yeah. know when they buy it at the store or they buy it at the bar or they buy it at a convenience store or an HEB or a Whole Foods, like they know what they're getting. Right. And that's what major beer has that a lot of small brands don't. Never disappoints. You can buy it always in Japan, you can buy it in thing. Seattle, Washington. Yeah. Coors Light's going to taste the same. For you know? sure. Which is actually a great thing. And you yeah. think about manufacturing uh, maybe computers or cars, right? Sure. What do you want? You want conformity and you want consistency. Yeah. And so people think, now this is one of the things that maybe I appreciate about agave spirits maybe in some bourbons. But when I go to buy a bottle of bourbon for under 25 bucks, I'm going to reach for Buffalo Trace because it's going to taste the same yeah. every time. I will never be disappointed. Right. Even if it's somebody exercising some kinds of creative muscle in their head, right? But still at the end of the day, Tastes the same, and people like that. And that's, I think, that's a key to any good brand, whether it's liquor, whether it's food. Is that on social, you got your voice, you're consistent, you're not erratic, (laughs) you balance the, you know, the playing with the working. Then the product itself, it looks the same always, it tastes the same always, and then you can always get it. Like that's it. I mean, it's not so difficult, but making that stuff come into motion and being consistent from a process perspective. Right now, that's the, the challenge. Yeah. I think people confuse innovation with consistency. Yes, I think you're right. You know, like innovation does not mean just throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks every single time. Like you have to innovate far more, you know, to make something taste the same and even better every single time you make it than to just make something new every single time. That's absolutely. That's the easy way out, in my opinion. You're you're totally right. Because it... (laughs) Do it, man. Being accountable for things in the same way all the time, like inefficiencies and stuff, or yeah. efficiencies, not inefficiencies. Like that's an art. The oh, Japanese no have mastered that shit. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because it's just you never think that it's an important thing because you want to like fall in love with the brand. It looks so good. It tastes so good. You want to think like it was just this a massive unloading of emotion into the still or into <laughs> right. the fermenter, but. It, it's not. It's calculated. Sorry, yeah, but it is. It's fucking way very, calculated. Very calculated. It's totally calculated. Yeah. So what? What did you decide in terms of flavor? Was there something that you really strived to keep? That was your vision with the flavor. I'll put it that way. Yeah. So we. I, I was really struck. Um, at least in Boulder, I was really struck at how I felt like that entire town is very culturally relevant. Yeah. You know, and cultural relevance is different wherever you are. Sure. Um, and it's relative for a reason, right? Right. right. <laughs> yeah. But Boulder is very white. You know? Very white. Very white. I mean... At least in 2004 when I was living there. Exceedingly white. It is very, very white. Yes. Very healthy and yeah. very wealthy. Sure. Right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. that is Boulder in a nutshell. It's also, you know, you've got all of your Trustafarians. You've got... Right. You know, um, it's an edgy community. Sure. But it's also somewhat one-dimensional. It's, uh, yeah. And so the products that you find there... The stores that you find there, the number of health food shops, the mm-hmm. number of, you know, dispensaries now that right. you know, they, right. they all appeal to that specific the culture, mon- that which is monochromatic Boulder. culture. Right. <laughs> and what I felt like in Austin is, you know, I mean, there's a lot of the same thing going on here, mm-hmm. um, but there's also a very consistent 
theme in regards to weather, right? It's mm-hmm. pretty hot here all the time. So developing beers, developing flavors, all of those things have to be relevant, in mm-hmm. my opinion. You know, if you want people to buy your beer all the time and to be that brand that they always have in the fridge, they're not going to wait in line, you know, five hours for a bottle release that you have. But every time they want to introduce a friend to Austin beer or every time they go to the grocery store, yeah. you want your beer to be on the shopping list. Absolutely. Right. Um, and so, you know, for me to do that, like, it's got to be relevant. It's got to be beer that people want to drink. Yeah. Um, and so what I started to look at was, well, what are the different cultures that have really made the hill country what they are? German influence is huge. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's where Shiner came from. Shiner, yeah. You know, um, so much of the hill country has that really deep German Czech influence. So one of the beers we launched with was a German style alt beer. Oh, it's a bizarre style. A lot of people hadn't heard of it, which is why we didn't really care too much to talk about like it's an alt beer. It's a German style brown ale. Okay. And people grabbed it up immediately. It's so, 5% it, ABV. It's very crisp, very dry, yeah. but full of flavor. So it's good with food. It's good in the sun. It's good in the winter. It's good. Caters to the, the, the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's culturally a, relevant here, yeah, I felt like. Um, and then, you know, one was the, the second beer that we launched with was more just an ode to Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Yeah. And you know, that was the first craft beer that I really fell in love with. Mm-hmm. Um, it was during a, a fish show, you know, on, <laughs> on tour <laughs> How with did fish. I know that the Trey Anastasio uh, was going to make it away? I know, right? Into this um, conversation. And, you know, in the parking lot. And I, I can still, like, all the sensory components of that experience, yeah. I still remember all of them. There That's was amazing. that tinge of B.O., a little bit of herb, sure. marijuana in the air. There was B.O., there was patchouli there was sandalwood there was nag champa and then i cracked open a sierra nevada pale ale and just an explosion of hop character oh that's amazing and it just blew my mind and it's of like course now to like me. that's yeah. what whipping is basically yes, a fish show right yes, absolutely uh and now you fast forward and sierra nevada is just like a gateway yeah hoppy beer you know but at the time that was a big bitter in your face hoppy beer yeah um and i just loved it and so i i really wanted to bring a little piece of that to the brewery um, so our first beer, you know, was very much modeled after that style, that kind of Pacific Northwest, wow. you know, hop forward pale ale. And you guys have how many SKUs now? I think there was like uh, five. We do six, six year okay. round now. Six yeah. year round. What, uh, so walk them through. So we do our pale dog, which was that the first one, yeah. and alteration, which alteration. is the alt beer. We do the one they call Zoe, which Zoe. is uh, our hands down our most popular pale the orange, The orange yeah, label, the right? The orange yeah. can. Uh, we do greenhouse IPA, okay, which Same is a really cool. Every batch we use different varieties dry hopping, oh, so cool. the flavor and aroma shift, you know, periodically, not dramatically, but right. you know, you get a little bit of variation with each batch. Uh, then we do a porter, Baltic style porter called porter, porter culture. It's a por- <laughs> nice. the purple can. <laughs> yeah. um, and then a pale mosaic was is our most recent release. Um, these are all can that. format. Yeah, all in cans, twelve ounce cans. What was that? What What was your decision to do can versus uh, t- maybe tall boys or versus bottles? Yeah, so it was. There were a number of things that we kind of approached with every decision, and still do to this day. Like mm-hmm. our our kind of, if you want to call them pillars. Um, ultimately, they're the community, our industry, and the environment. Yeah. Um, and so everything that we do, we look at those three areas um, to ask the question of, is this going to be good for all three of those things? Yeah. You know, great. is this going to help our community or give our community more enjoyment or more connection? Uh, is it going to prolong our industry? Is it going to add yeah. more attention to the industry? And then is it going to be good for the environment? Um, and so cans, I mean, there was no question oh, at all. Yeah. Like our community, we're outside all the time. There's festivals all the time. There's water Don't everywhere. You can't have glass yeah. in it. You can't even have yeah, it if you want you're to, right. you yeah. know? So cans were a natural fit there. From an industry standpoint, you know, quality and shelf stability are the things that are going to make the craft beer industry survive. Sure. People um, will come back. Yeah. They're, they're going to keep consistent. coming back because, you know, it's, um, it's consistent. It's yeah. quality and cans are the best packaged container for beer um you know there's no light that can come through right like there's with glass the seam on the top is so much tighter than a can or a a bottle cap um and there's less headspace you know um and then efficiencies right so a lot more efficiencies and on the environmental side you know they're not necessarily more recyclable but the way we approached it was you know take the scenario of art i went out with my buddies we had a 12 pack of long neck bottles we Mm. drank them all down by the river now we've got to lug all that stuff out versus We just emptied 12 cans of beer, crush them down. Got it. So if your closest recycle bin is back at the trailhead, but you've got a trash can where you are at the river, yeah. what are you more likely to throw in the trash can because you don't want to lug it back? Right. Bottles. The heavier. So yeah. cans, are they lend themselves more to recyclability mm. because it's easier and we're all lazy and you, know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can put it in your pocket. And, yeah, absolutely. Um, and just from an overall, you know, from an entire supply chain you look at, not only once it gets to us and we fill it, but then we take it to a retail account. 
Um, they stack. They take up less floor right, space. Right. They chill down faster. Um, they merchandise better. You know, mm-hmm. you can actually use them like bricks and stack stuff around, whereas a six pack of bottles make it a little Can't more difficult stack, for yeah. that. Um, and then, you know, the recyclability component is um, another huge piece. So how long have you guys been in operation now? Uh, we had our four year anniversary in October of That's last amazing. year. amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. How do, how do you folks feel about it? I'm, I'm curious how your dad feels about it. I bet he's It's a it, trip. Right? They love it. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely love it. They were, I mean, when I told them what I was doing, I think they were still just under this like, wow, our son started teaching and went down a career path. <laughs> And then he sold all of his belongings and moved to Boulder. <laughs> and now he's back in Texas, which right. is great. And now he says he's going to open a brewery. What? Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they're probably my biggest fans. Do you ever you know? bounce ideas uh, off of him? All the time. I, yeah. do, I, do and he, I mean, too. I get text messages from my dad with pictures of beers from a beer store uh-huh. in Abilene where they still live. He's yeah. like, what do you think of this? Is this good? Is this good? Hey, I just tried this. This is pretty cool. That's so uh, cool, So yeah, right? it's awesome. Yeah. I, and I never had conversations about booze with my dad. Oh no! Until, it was not until, in my house as a kid. Yeah, well, was, we yeah, I'm pretty pretty much right there with you. Like my mom, you know, here's a bit of personal stuff. Like my mom grew up in an alcoholic household. Okay. And thus, like she decided in her 30s, like I'm not drinking anymore. <laughs> There's yeah. some looming risk over the, the sort of Democles, I think is what they call right. Yeah. And so so that was not a thing. And then my dad, he he wasn't really he, margarita guy. One or two margaritas once a month, maybe that kind of thing. But so since I started doing this stuff. And I get to ask questions about business because my dad's been in the business, he's the food business for a long, long time. And good guy to talk, bounce ideas off of, you yeah. know. And it's just so cool, like that our relationship has transformed and evolved in that way. Because now he's like, well, what do you think you should do? You know, these kinds of things where there's the dynamic is we're peers now, right? Because right? right. it was never like that, and that's maybe something everybody faces with their parents is that you grow up, they're there to point down, not to somehow take make you feel bad. But to teach you a lesson, because that's what they're there for. Right. But right. then, at some point, it's like you're eye to eye talking about fucking tequila, or you're talking about right. gin, or what? It's so strange, right? Yeah. But it's lovely. It's a lovely. Evolution. Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Was your sister? Your sister? What is she, is she in the industry at all? No, not at all. She is. Um, she started out as a teacher. My family is just full of full educators. Of teachers, um, yeah. she got married literally the weekend after she graduated from college. Graduated wow. in four years. We took completely different paths. Yeah. I uh, love my sister to death, but she was always the straight A student and I was always the kid in the back corner <laughs> burning something or you know, getting in trouble. Um, and so out of college, her husband went to optometry school. Oh, okay. So she taught to kind of, you know, support them through optometry school. Yeah. Always under the, you know, assumption that as soon as he got done, like they were she's having done? kids. Oh, and man. she so yeah, she's got three kids, uh, wow. full time mom and t- I, th- yeah. I can't I can't do that. Oh, I can't. I can I barely keep it. track of myself. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> responsible like, for three small humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But that becomes your business. Yeah. No, you know absolutely. Because I mean? yep, it's yep. like the beer, like each product line you've got. So you've got right. six in total. There's, that's six kids. Yeah. They have a different personality. And you have to develop them all, you know, to exactly. go to market and to, yeah. And then you send them off to elementary, send them off to school that first day and right. see, how, see how they work. And they either <laughs> evolve or they fucking flunk out. Like right. that's, that's exactly how that stuff works. Yeah. So the... I think a wonderful note to to end on is that I guess so you you were talking about Mike Sanders for a little bit. I guess you, you we probably know many of the same people. Oh, we I'm just sure. have never crossed paths. Right. Cuz admittedly I'm not a, as much of a beer guy as most people. I'm I'm it's about efficiency. <laughs> sure. So and now it's a bourbon it's a little bit less to, you know right. to, to drink right. than a beer but but it seems like so you probably you know Steven then. Yep. Steven Robbins. Absolutely. He has managed and I I will clarify which charity this is but it, it's for children's charity is that right do you remember which one it is for the dead bods calendar i don't remember the exact yeah, one now I'll, I'll clarify with him but they had this idea or steven had this idea an asinine idea frankly <laughs> <laughs> that people would want to see the dad bodish physiques of austin's <laughs> premier bartender yes <laughs> so you have a wonderful dream team of people the likes of jeff Bowley. Josh Loving, Justin Elliott, Michael Sanders, as we talked about, obviously Stephen Robbins, Michael Phillips. Great, great group, great group. Absolutely. And in most cases, they are in this calendar exposing said dad bod in a truly haunting manner. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. It's like, God, and I got to say this, and since we we won't show the picture, I don't think Steve will get too mad, but thinking of Chris Bostic, in a fairy outfit, yes. in a blue bonnet, a patch of blue bonnets, still 
Hans Michael. I know you can't erase that. It I is. Can, I tried. Right. I had to get up in there and edit that. You know, and so like in their high res photos, right. and I'm like, man, that nipple's got too much of the green screen outline, and I'd have to get like at the pixel <laughs> level of Chris Bostic's nipple. <laughs> oh, God. I swear to God, oh, I was like, don't envy that. I will never be gay ever. <laughs> like, like, I can't. Like, right. this, this, the getting in that level of granular. But anyway, so this calendar is coming to fruition. I think Stephen hopes to have it ready for print on Friday, and we're gonna have twelve amazing models. 12 months of the year and a release party at Hops and Grain yeah. on the 1st of February, right? Yep. Which Monday. is Monday. Yeah. What's what's the what are we in store for there? So it's it's going to be cool. Each of each of those uh, month models um, <laughs> have crafted a cocktail that oh, will be amazing. yeah that will be serving there. Um, will oh, be great. you know in in standard dad bod form. Yes. Uh, there will be grills set up outside, cooking sausages and so burgers amazing. and the like. Uh, well, you know, we'll have some of our beer there. Yeah. Um, I think a little bit of wine has been uh, been provided as well. So, Are you expect a big turnout for it? I think it's. I think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, thing. we're shutting our tap room down, you oh, know, to cool. the public. So this is kind of you know the the whole invite group that Stephen has sent out to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we should have about seventy five or hundred people there. And it's gonna be good. It's gonna be a. Trip. You're gonna be there, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I'll be there. It's gonna be. It's again haunting. Very. <laughs> It's very chilling some, yes. of, some of these pictures but i also at the same time cannot wait for people to see and the one thing i want to call out here that I, people won't know i made one prosthetic adjustment to one of the models oh okay yeah he was wearing particularly tight shorts <laughs> and i just i you've seen christmas vacation yes right so remember how there's this scene this is this is the point of inspiration there's this scene where randy quaid and Chevy Chase are walking. It's a straight straight shot. They're like in Walmart buying gifts and stuff. Right. Randy Quaid picks up these big bags of dog food, crushes the light bulbs. He's wearing like these polyester pants. And for some reason, you get a whole fucking like huge, massive, strong shot. And yeah. it's like, it's hilarious. It's like, a, it's like a fucking prop, you know? Right. So that's the inspiration for one of these models. And I hope you guys can pick out which one it is. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> an amazingly inappropriate enhancement. I took some liberties to enhance said subject. So it's been wonderful chatting with you, Josh. Man, I'm I'm actually it's too bad we we didn't get to chat or rather meet earlier because I feel like we got we hit hit it off, man. So I'm looking forward to seeing you at the, at the event on the first. Yeah, I think had a blast. It'll be really good, and I'll, I'll definitely say hey if, if you're going to be there, of course. Cool. So it's been a pleasure. Thanks yeah, so much it's for great chat with you man. as well. Oh, uh, so so one thing that we do have to talk about, of course, a beer guy. We all know that you guys love bourbon, mm-hmm. and in this particular case, as it is protocol for each of the episodes, you've picked a wonderful cask strength bourbon here, which is the E.H. Taylor. This is at sixty-seven percent, insanely hot but really beautiful tastes like stag to me it might be the same mash bill yeah some yeah. of the guys might correct me but what do you think you, oh, i think did, it's great yeah it's really, really on the night. i started out neat and then i did uh cut a little water into How'd it the water help uh, really yeah it really opened it up a lot it does, doesn't it? definitely because you get some oils in suspension as you know and then we right. push that stuff in but at the end of the day what's that drink for you honestly i and you'll laugh at this but yeah. bookers oh that's not laugh that's amazing i mean you know, i'd say that to a lot of people yeah. they're like whoa yeah, that's, going right at it, huh? For your daily, <laughs> your daily whiskey. Well, some you some know. cojones on yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm really angry, I'll go Noah's Mill. You know, yes. a really stressful day, I'll dive right into that one. <laughs> Something real corn, <laughs> right. corn heavy, right? Well, it's been a pleasure chatting, Josh. Man, thanks so much for sharing some bourbon with me. Can't wait to see you. Yeah, thank so, you. See you, man. So it is all about balance, isn't it? You exercise enough, you drink enough, and the two things all come out in the wash and even out in the end. What did you guys think of that conversation with Josh? It was fun. I had a great time chatting with Josh. He's easy to talk to, the kind of guy that you want to drink a beer with. No no fucking wonder he's in the beer industry, started a brewery. You'd want to hang out with him. You'd want to run with him. I don't even run, but I want to run with him. The thing is, it's always nice to highlight another entrepreneur He thinks about process, he thinks about branding, he thinks about what the world needs, what beers the world needs. And he, you know, it's all about consistency. It's all about meeting expectations of the people that count on you and count on your brand. And Hobson Grain is a quintessential Austin and Texas brand. I can't wait to see what comes out of that brewery in the future. 
And if you're able to join us tonight, there is the Dad Bod calendar release. As I mentioned in a previous episode, Stephen Robbins so wonderfully articulately combined 12 Dad Bod Rubenesque figures into a single calendar that is both haunting and chilling. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening to Show to V. I, again, I can't express my appreciation and my humility enough for all of you who give me comments about what you think about the show, people that want to step onto the show, everybody that wants to chat. I want to get to every single one of you, and I want to learn everything I can about every single person. So thanks again for listening to Show to V. It doesn't matter what you're doing, drinking beer, running, biking, swimming, although those may be very tiring. Please keep dancing.